Hi, friends. Before I jump into this week's episode, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my friend Brent Jaco at Brazelsport Independent School District near Houston, Texas. Thank you, Brent, so much for inviting me to speak this week to a group of assistant principals and aspiring leaders for your school district. I'm so excited to spend an entire day learning and growing together, specifically talking about eight hats, the essential roles for school leaders, how you can thrive, not simply survive, in school leadership. If you have an upcoming workshop or conference that you'd like to connect with me about providing value for your school leaders, please reach out to me at my email address at will at williamdparker.com. Now let's jump into this week's show. Principal Matters Podcast, episode 150. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. You can check out all my resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com. This week, we'll be discussing hiring quality teachers with my guest, Jen Schwanke, who's also serving as co-host for this series on strategies and solutions that work for school leaders. Jen Schwanke is the author of You're the Principal, Now What? Strategies and Solutions for New School Leaders and the principal of Indian Run Elementary School in Dublin, Ohio. Jen, welcome back to Principal Matters. Thanks so much for the time that you've been spending in this series. And how's it going at Indian Run? It's going so well. We had a great week and don't mistake that for an easy week, but we had a really good week. And Will, I have to tell you about this really neat thing that happened. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday night, a teacher had attended an event at her child's high school and it had been some kind of a um, dinner and she just sent an email and she said, I have a huge roaster full of tortillas and I have a bunch of lettuce and cheese. So I'm going to bring it bring some filler, some meat filler, if you'd like. And so I was inspired and apparently impulsive. So I replied all and said, I'll bring a big vat of taco meat. And next somebody said, I have salsa. And then it got funny. Somebody responded and said, I see your salsa and I'm going to one up you to some guacamole. And the next thing you knew, we had all the, at a massive what we called a flash taco bar. And we had all these ingredients. People just grabbed a can of beans from their cabinet or a few people stopped by and got some limes and avocados. We had a huge spread and it was an amazing morale booster. We, I just laughed. I said, who knew how quickly that could come together? And we, everybody came to the lounge and ate that day. We just had a really, really nice day and it was a perfectly timed. I think we all needed a mood boost and it really wasn't hard. Now, 20 pounds of taco meat involved a bunch of crock pots in the garage, but it, we got it done and it was well worth it. Well, I love that story because teachers who like each other like to work together. And one of the biggest challenges of school leaders is hiring high quality teachers and retaining them. And I know we're going to break this into two parts. This week, we're going to be talking specifically about how do you hire high quality teachers, people who are not just excellent in the classroom, but people who are excellent people and people that you love to work with. And then how do we keep those high quality teachers and retain them? But Jen, as I visit with principals across the nation, not just in Oklahoma, but but everywhere, I talk to a lot of people that are finding it harder today to find high quality teachers than they did several years ago. And I know in my career, that's definitely been the case. In Oklahoma, we felt that burden especially strong in the last several years. And as I've looked at research across the nation, there are lots of different reasons depending on which state you're looking at. Maybe it's low teacher pay 
in some states, or maybe it's the stress of compliance that's driving people away from from this career, or maybe fewer people are choosing to become education majors. Whatever the reason, this means that more than ever, principals have a really competitive field in recruiting and retaining excellent teachers. Do you feel the same way? I do. I'm I'm lucky enough to be in a district where we're not feeling it as tightly as some other districts. I have colleagues that say this is their number one stressor, not only finding and hiring them, but then keeping the teachers that they do have and managing the absenteeism Mm -hmm. and substitutes. It's really a monster. And I think it's one that stresses everyone out, including the kids and their parents. And like you mentioned, there's a, there's a lot of reasons. It's very individual, but people shy away from the job. And, and I think we need to take a bigger look at that. But I think that's a different episode. And I know that sometimes there's different stressors in secondary and middle and elementary. Right. So just sometimes those pools vary. And, and so they also vary depending on subject area. And so sometimes where you might have a lot of teachers available in one subject in, let's say, for instance, math or science, you might have fewer. And so there's a lot of dynamics that, that influence how we can hire or what options that we have for hiring, depending on where we live. Maybe you're in a rural area or a suburban area or an urban area. So your pool of candidates might be shallower or deeper. Let's talk first about the reasons why hiring teachers is such an important responsibility for principals. You know, when I first started, my principal, who's a wonderful mentor, she put so much time and energy into hiring. And, you know, it was April, it was it was March, it was May, and it was so busy. There was discipline and there was testing. And I kept thinking, why is she stressing so much about this? And she looked at me right in the eye and she said, the teacher you hire is going to either be your salvation or your problem for years. And she Mm -hmm. said, it's going to be an implication for students and their parents for decades. And I had never thought about that. And it's true. It can be 30, 35, 40 Mm -hmm. years that person is going to work there. And so you have to be exhaustive about it. And you have to understand that the right person can lift your building to brand new places and the wrong person can really divide it and create some toxicity. You'll You'll never be able to intervene and fix. I always say that a, a good teacher is golden. Yes. When, you've, when you've hired the right teacher, not only are they golden for the students that they're teaching and the community that they're teaching, but they're golden for you because Absolutely. your job becomes so much more joyful and so much more fulfilling when you've got someone who's you're supporting and the amazing work that they're doing. You're not having to clean up as many messes right. when you've got someone who's the right fit for your school. And the people that are golden also like to grow. And so often when you get a golden teacher, they're not only committed to being excellent, but they're committed to improvement. So if you do see things where they need to grow, then they're open and eager uh, to grow as well. So the longer you're in a school and the more opportunity that you have to build a team with those kinds of individuals on it, your joy as a school leader also grows exponentially. So you become even more excited about your work because the people on your team can rally around that same vision uh, that you have. Do you know every every school has some sort of an open house or curriculum night or meet the teacher at the beginning of the year? And the principal's job, I think this is across the nation, across the world, is to stand at the front doors when everyone's leaving. And you're going to hear one of two things. I love my child's teacher or, oh, that English teacher is amazing. Or you're going to hear, can we meet sometime this week? And that is going to define the tone of your year. And it's all about the teachers that those parents have just seen. The people that we hire represent our schools, our, the beliefs, the philosophies, and the attitudes right. of our school. In fact, I often will remind, especially newer teachers and, and even aspiring administrators, I'll tell them the same thing, which is 
never forget that you are being talked about all the time at the dinner table, <laughs> yes. at the soccer game, in the car ride home. The things that you say and the way that you perform in a classroom or in your school isn't isolated to that moment. It's something that will carry, it's a story that carries on way beyond you. And how do you want that story to be told? And so I want people in my building who are not only just dedicated to the moment, because the moment is important, but they're dedicated to the legacy of that building too. So that when they walk out of that plate, when those kids walk out of this school, they have a story to tell when they go home that makes those parents so proud that their students are part of that school. So hiring represents you and it represents your leadership too. And I know that we can't tie our identity into how well our teachers perform or don't perform because that's not healthy. But if we have the opportunity to attract people to our team that share the values and beliefs that we have and the philosophy that we have for a good school, then we're, we're only going to be naturally proud when we see that happen. And it's going to make, it's going to give us more joy as leaders too. Sometimes people ask me, do you look at, you know, the, the actual college they graduated from or what all the things they've been involved for? I said, well, sure. But after I look at their attitude, their work ethic, their core philosophy about kids, because as you say, that represents my school, that represents me. And so it's a hiring for a whole world outlook, really, rather than the specifics that are on your resume. And, and you know, I wanted to mention too, before we get into the nitty gritty about the application process, tying this back a little bit to the shortage a lot of us are experiencing. I think if we have an application process that teachers understand and can access easily, and that might be just the principal receiving resumes, or it might be, especially in bigger districts, an online application process where they have to upload their references and their resume and so on. It doesn't matter how it looks. It just needs to be out there so that people can easily find it and ideally connected to some sort of a vision of your school, whether it's a website or a philosophy statement, something that makes someone want to fill out an application and want to be part of your community. Yeah. And I know that we're going to jump into the nitty gritty in just a little bit too, but there's so many things that you can do too, depending on the kinds of candidates that you want to attract to your school. And I know for several years in Oklahoma, when we ran into some shortages with specific subject areas that we had to become really creative in the way that we did outreach. Because at the end of the day, Jen, and I know you believe this too, You have to ask yourself the question when you're looking at a candidate who's sitting in front of you, is this the person that I would be excited to be teaching my own child every day? exactly. But to get that person in front of you is a process. Let's just jump into some of the nitty gritty and first of all, just talk about that application and that interview process and how do you manage that interview process? Because I know the spring is really busy. So what does that look like for you guys? So for us, when we have openings, they're posted on the website for anyone to take a look at. Now, before that process is we do post jobs internally. So current teachers can apply for a switch of school or subject or whatever. But once it's posted for the outside world, then um, applicants fill out an application and it kind of gives us, these applications go in folders, for lack of a better word. 
forward. And so if I have an opening, say, in uh, 10th grade science or in third grade, I can look into a folder for anyone who's applied with that appropriate certification. Now, it gets a little bit sticky, and I know every state deals with this. Certifications go different levels, and they typically change depending on what state departments of education have done. So, you know, in, in Ohio, we have certifications that are K through eight, we have K through four, we have four through nine, and so on. So you kind of have to weed through some of that. And then, you know, I, I dig into the resumes and the application answers and, and really develop a solid pool of candidates I want to take a look at. I'm going to ask you a question that I don't know how comfortable you feel responding to, but as you start digging through those applications and resumes, do you ever go outside of that resume when you see a candidate that might be interesting, like looking at for instance, social media or looking at maybe where they previously worked? I'm happy to answer that because I feel so strongly about it. And the answer is yes, 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 yes. Uh, A resume is Mm -hmm. only as good as the person who wrote it. And often the person who's applying didn't write that resume. You just have to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. The resume can give you some facts, but it can't give you anything beyond that. I giggle because I've had a lot of applicants who later will admit, oh yeah, my wife helped me write my resume. Or I hired someone to write my resume. Or my college advisor gave me a few templates and I took one. So it's just, you have to be aware of that. And then social media is that I feel irresponsible if I haven't checked out a social media account. And I have found things before where I think, I'm not about telling anyone what to believe or what to say. What I am about is the cognitive process that would bring someone to post something knowing that they're applying to teach children. Right. And so I do think it's an important responsibility for us to dig. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting. My wife and I were just... My wife and I were just talking about this last night in terms of, you know, what what are the responsibilities that social media companies have in monitoring their content? I know that's a big question across the globe, but right. I, I think the flip side of that is what responsibility, what responsibility do I have as a school leader to make sure that before I move a candidate into a teaching position that I have done some digging to make sure that how they're going to represent our school is in a way that's with dignity and respect. No one's perfect, but in a way that I know that I would be proud of of the example that they're setting. Right. And you know what? Well, guess what the first thing a parent is going to do when they find the name of their child's teacher or even a student, they're going to look and then they're Mm going to call you Mm -hmm. and say, do you know the content that's on this person's Twitter account? So you're going to see the social media regardless. It better be on the front end of the hire. And so principals really need to be willing to commit the time to dig, really commit the time to look at the, you know, when you see a resume and you see where that person went to school or you see what, um, where that person's previously taught to, to go online and do some digging and look Absolutely. and see what kind of reputation does that person have? Does that person receive previous accolades or awards? Is this person connected to somebody that you might know that you could call and ask them, what do you think about this candidate? And so there's a lot of ways you can dig. Do we want to move into talking about that interview process, Jen, and and what are some practices that you guys use to, once you found that quality candidate, to begin to dig even deeper into whether they're the right fit to instruct in your school? Yeah, I think the interview is um, simultaneously the most valuable and least valuable part of the process, believe it or not. And I'll go a little bit more into that as we talk. I think that you will agree, though, sometimes we will base an entire decision on a half hour interview. And I think that's deeply responsible, irresponsible. You know, interviewing just like resumes, people can be trained to do it. They can be given answers. And so you have to be a smart interviewer. And I like to interview by committee. And by that, I mean, 
mean, the people who are going to work directly with our candidate, I like to bring them in and be part of the process. Now, with that said, I don't think huge committees are helpful at all. I think they're intimidating for the, the applicant. And I think they give the staff a false sense of empowerment, you know, becomes a game of survivor in some ways. And so you have to be careful that the committee members really do represent what you want the voice to be behind this decision. Yeah, I agree. And I love to bring people in with me into those decisions because sometimes I misjudge people. And and, right. and I've loved over the years having, let me give you an example. If I'm going to bring in a, at the secondary level of math teacher, then I'm probably going to have one of my assistant principals in there who helps supervise that department. I'm going to have a counselor in there because the counselors help me write my master schedules and they're really good judges of teaching candidates. And then I'm going to have someone from that math department, maybe it's my math chair, who's going to be sitting in there as well and myself. And so in my interview committees, I try to bring those parties in that can help ask questions that maybe I'm going to forget or dig deeper into candidates than maybe I've thought. And then when you reflect later, sometimes you see things they didn't see and they see things you didn't see. And you mentioned this, you want a diverse representation of your school so that, you know, the counselor brings one certain perspective, a colleague that will work next door to him will bring another perspective, you will bring another perspective. And so you want all those voices at the table. And you know what I do too? I clarify at the beginning when I get the committee together, I clarify their role is to do just that, bring perspective, bring up things I might not have thought about if I were doing this alone. I do sometimes give them a safety net and I tell them, you know, ultimately I'll make the final decision. And that's not to make them feel their opinion isn't valued, but it's to protect them from anyone saying, oh, the committee didn't like me or they were biased against me. Now, with that said, I think it's important to be open to changing your mind. I have definitely gone into interviews before where the committee swayed me. And I thought, you know, my candidate, the one that I thought was the best, given this perspective from these people, no, I, I was wrong. I wasn't thinking clearly. No, that's so important. And sometimes you're going to have disagreements on committees and that's okay. Right. And I like the fact that you set the expectation early that ultimately you have to be the one that owns the final decision. Because I think sometimes you you do hit moments where maybe there's not complete agreement right. on a candidate. I can, I can think of an example several years ago where one of the members on my committee just had some reservations about a candidate, just wasn't quite sure, didn't quite know if the personality was going to be a good fit. And, but I felt really strongly that this was, that this person would be a good fit. And that if that colleague individually worked with this other one long enough, they would see that too. And And in that case, I was right by making that final decision that I think this really is a valuable candidate. And we brought that person in, the person on that committee that had the most questions ended up becoming one of they became best friends right? because, because those, res- those reservations that she had really ended up not being, uh, the perception was not reality. And so sometimes you have people on your team that can see the reality that you can't. And sometimes you can see the reality that they can't. And then sometimes, sometimes you've got people on your team that are going to be really blunt with you and just say, well, this is not a good fit. And they're usually right. Um, and so you have to, you just have to understand the dynamics of the people you're working with. You have to be willing to follow your gut and you have to be willing to trust others too. Right. You probably got the silent treatment a little bit from that teacher for a while, but then in the end, it it turned out that you were right. And that's, it's not about being right or wrong. It's about fit. One thing that I, you mentioned going with your gut and that's a, I have a love hate relationship with that term as a principal because Mm -hmm. your gut is a very, very strong pool of information 
if it's backed up with data or facts. And so I like to say, I, I would never say I hired a teacher because I just felt like it was right. I would say I hired a teacher because I felt like it was yeah. right because this is the experience she's had, or this is what she said about kids, or this is what her reference said. I always have to back up my gut with information. Yeah, because you might have a good gut feeling on somebody and then you check a reference and find out they were horrible. Oh yeah, my gut has been very wrong. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying that because I think it's important that, and that's why I think it's important to involve others because the more you can reflect with others, the more feedback you can give to each other. And then with trust and and actually in that story, I told you that other person if she had resentment, she didn't show it because we were able to actually talk through that scenario in a way where she trusted me to make that decision. And then it ended up being the right one, but I trusted her too. Her perceptions didn't match reality because when you check the references on that candidate, when you looked at their work history, when you saw how they'd performed, otherwise everything about that candidate was stellar. There was just something about the personality in that interview that didn't seem to quite click. And that was because like you said earlier, an interview isn't the only criteria that you use in choosing a candidate. And so it's just a piece of it. And you know, I had an experience, it was many years ago now, but I had the same scenario you described. And then I went with the person I felt was best and the team never got over it. They were angry because they had wanted another candidate. Now I um, ended up being correct sort of, because the candidate was excellent in all the ways that I thought, but we never got over that hump with the team. So after a year, she went to a different grade level and everything was, it was great. And now it's, we've moved on. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you're right. Those reactions from the committee, you really do have to listen to them because there's something that's not going to work. And to that end, that speaks too about when you use committees to hire, you have to kind of remind them that we can't hire people based on our feelings and emotions. That's not a hire criteria. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll sometimes hear after we've completed an interview and the candidate leaves, I'll hear, oh, I liked her so much or, oh, she was so funny or I'd love to work, you know, have her on our team. She'd be great in the social committee. You know, you, those are all valuable, but you can't, you can't forget the kids behind this, the classroom they're going to be leading, the parents they're going to be talking to. It's Emotion is not a um, hireable criteria. No, I agree. And so and, and sometimes if we're bringing in a pool of candidates, if we have the, the privilege of, of several candidates for the same position, you know, when we're clarifying our roles, we'll often also share beforehand some common questions. And, and sometimes your questions change depending on how the conversation's going or the background of the person or their experience. But, but I do like to have some common questions prepared ahead of time so that each person in the committee has something that they can ask so that we have some consistency from interview right. to interview so that when we're reflecting later too, we have something more valuable than simply how entertaining they were right. or how fun they were. So, so it's, it's important to look comprehensively at your candidates. And part of that comprehension comes through how you interview them. And I think that what you're looking for can also be something very content driven or or some hole that you're looking to fill on the team. I like to go around the room and say, who are we looking for? And someone might say, we really need someone who's strong in the content area, or we need someone who can bring some new perspective. We need someone who's great with technology. We need someone who has had experience with students struggling with mental health or, or poverty. You know, whatever it is, you know, you can think what kind of person are we looking for to bring diversity and balance to our team? Mm. So let's talk now about 
some of the missteps that we can take in interviewing? And I know we've touched a little bit on on those already, Jen, but what are some common missteps that principals can make when they're stepping into this process that maybe some pitfalls they need to avoid? I would say the first one is falling for a beautiful resume or a beautiful uh, face, so to speak. Someone who comes in extremely polished is giving versed answers. Someone who, you know, you know, maybe is coming from a university who has a whole class perhaps dedicated to the interview process. Falling for someone who looks perfect, but then when you dig, 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 you'll find there, there's a lot of holes in, in the picture. So I think that's a common misstep. I'm sure you've seen examples of that along the way. And I think it's also important that you don't just base decisions on first impressions. I mean, first impressions are really uh, valuable. And sometimes you can tell in 30 seconds, you know, this is a person that I want to dig deeper in. And sometimes you can tell, hmm. Maybe I shouldn't have called this person in because this right. this is not going to take very long for me to figure out this person's not the kind of person I want to follow up with. But but you're right. You can't let first impressions dictate um, those final outcomes. I think another common misstep that I would point out too is be careful the kinds of questions that you that you use. You don't want to just use boxed questions that you pull from the internet, for instance. But you you want your questions to reflect what you're looking for in that person. And even if you've given the folks on your committee some specific things to think about ahead of time. Um, not every position is the same. And so you need to make sure that your the questions that you're asking are reflective of what you're looking for too. And those questions don't have to be one part. I love to follow a question with the with the, another question, which is why, or tell me more about that. A lot of times people will give a very standard answer. You know, what's, why did you want to be a teacher? Well, I really wanted to make a difference for students. Well, Why? So, you know, get get beyond the answers that everybody's going to give you and ask why. And if they stumble and say, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, that to me is a red flag because you're not asking them to trick them. You're asking them to really tell you a little bit more about that. And I think the longer you're in a position too, in a community, it's a valid question to ask them why they want to become a part of your community. Because right. sometimes there's... Sometimes there's history there. Maybe they're really attracted to your school and they've always dreamed of teaching in a place like this. Or maybe it's they're relocating because their spouse right. just got a new job and they're just looking, they're looking everywhere. Or maybe they're in transition and, and they're trying to change careers and this might be their next out. So it's exactly. helpful to know the story because you also get a sense of how long the commitment's going to be because you right. might have a candidate who's really valuable, but you get the sense this one's a one-year person before right. they decide they want to do something else. And maybe I need to look a little bit deeper. You know, there's a common joke in the principal world that the worst answer to an interview question from a teacher, you know, why do you want to be here is, well, June, July, and August, because that makes us just want to, you know, quiver in our shoes. We want to hear a purpose that shows long-term dedication and shows that teaching is the noble profession we know it to be. And so listening, really listening to the answers of those questions is just as important as having good questions. I remember asking a candidate one time, tell me what you think your main responsibilities are when you're teaching. And he responded, well, my job is to instruct and your job is to discipline. Oh, boy. And I thought right then. <laughs> you said, thanks so I much just, for coming. I mean, sometimes you, you ask those clarifying questions and, and just see what they say because right? you're going to get a lot of, you, we, sometimes you'll get some 
profound responses and sometimes some horrible ones. Well, we should do a bloopers show one time, other people's bloopers in the hiring process. I I remember one time I asked, you know, what else would you like to do to contribute to our school? And I'm assuming, you know, chess club or coach a sport or something. And she smiled sweetly and said, nothing. And I thought, oh, honey, you got to at least, you know, make something up. She just said, no, nothing. I just, I would just like to teach. So um, yeah, we could, we could have some, please don't say this answers to throw out to candidates. You know, some other missteps I think to keep in mind are making sure that you dig into references. Sometimes you need, you always need to follow up and make sure you check people's references. And then also asking who's not on the list. Like, you know, why did this person list, for instance, their department chair at their last school, but they didn't list their principal at their last school. And so trying to figure out, you know, making sure that you're digging before you fall in love with a candidate. I've been caught on that before and I've learned from it. I did exactly once where I hired without, I hired on my gut and I didn't call instincts or call references and my instincts were wrong. And I had to live with that person for a long time. The other thing too, Will, is a lot Mm -hmm. of districts are now doing survey references. So they send an email and, you know, somebody answers questions about the candidate. I understand the value behind those, but I also am really wary of them. I want to talk to a person. I want to hear somebody's tone when, and when I say, tell me about this candidate or why is, is she leaving? I want to hear what the, the nuances of the voice. And I also want to listen carefully for vague answers. When someone calls me for a reference check and I don't have much good to say, I'll say things like, well, her attendance was quite good. And I let it sit there because <laughs> I'm saying, you know, she showed up which is a reference check in itself. So you've got to really be, be wary of those yeah. answers. Or something to the effect of, well, you know, I, I know that he's been looking for a change. There, oh, that red flag, red flag, red flag. <laughs> I was just going to say too, there's, there's another point that I think is important to make. You know, we, we have to hold to our standards too. There's a story that my superintendent, he's now, a, it's kind of an urban legend story. We were looking for a candidate in our district for a very, very hard to fill position. It was like IP, AB, LMNOP, chemistry. Like we couldn't find the right person. And the superintendent met with all candidates before their, their hire. And this candidate sashayed in, in flip-flops. And the superintendent said, we're not hiring him. And the high school principal said, we have to, there's no one else there. And the superintendent said, any, any teacher that would walk in to meet the superintendent in flip-flops is not going to work here. We want someone who would dress up, who would act the part, who would hold to a standard of professionalism that we want. And they actually started the year without the chemist, without a chemistry teacher. Now they ended up finding one and it turned out to be a great decision, but hold to those standards. You want the very, very best people you can find. Over and over again, I've been in situations where I've held to my, my priorities until I could find that quality person and was glad I did. And the times where I've compromised and thought, no, I've got to get someone in here. And this would this may not be the one I would want with my child. I've always regretted those. Yep, 100%. Always. Yep. Because yeah, because when you compromise on those standards, they always come back later to create bigger problems than if you had just had a sub until Absolutely. you could find that that person otherwise. The hold to your standards. And that's not easy. I know that there are principals mm-hmm. who may be listening in districts that are having a really difficult time finding teachers or specific subject areas, but be creative. I know that in Oklahoma, we hit some times several years ago, we're finding 
math or science or foreign language teachers was really difficult. And I had to be creative. I got on social media. I created YouTube ads. I got on Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Twitter and shouted outs, shout outs to people that I knew that could pass the word. I got, one time I had a Spanish opening and we were not getting quality candidates. And I was determined I was going to find someone who I would want my child to have. And so I was putting out feeds even through my Facebook friends. And I had a former college friend who had become a foreign language professor at a nearby university. And he posted it on his own personal Facebook post. And one of his former students saw it and posted it on their Facebook post. And one of that person's friends who was in a corporate position as a Spanish and English sales rep who had just gotten her teaching degree saw that and called me directly and said, you never know. I just saw this ad on Facebook from this person, the first, this person she came <laughs> in and was, was the perfect find. But you sometimes just have to think way outside the box when it comes to how am I going to do whatever it takes, even when the pool becomes shallow, to make sure that at the end of the day, I'm getting people in front of my children who I feel confident in. And if you can't find that person, then having to pivot with some, some other options too. Right. Well, Jen, we've got a lot of other conversations to have about this. I just want to wrap up today's conversation by just reminding principals that hiring high quality teachers is really one of the most important responsibilities that you have as a leader. Because at the end of the day, it's the quality of the teacher in the classroom that's going to determine the growth of every child that you have. And every piece of research that you look at shows that students grow when they have high quality teachers. The second most important factor in a building for that student growth is the school leader, the principal, him him or herself. But the number one reason students grow are quality teachers. So Principal Matters listeners, as you are jumping into the spring, think about how you can strategize, how you can look for great candidates, how you can clarify the roles of the people that are helping you find them, and then not compromising until you find the kinds of excellence that matches the values that you want for your students. Well, Jen, thank you so much for co-hosting today's episode. I'm, I'm looking forward to diving even deeper next week as we continue to explore strategies and solutions that work for school leaders as we talk about hiring and retaining high quality teachers. Principal Matters listeners, thank you for the time that you take each week to listen, to learn, and to grow. Until next time, thanks for doing what matters. Thanks, everyone. Come back next week. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.